as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. Happy Election Day. It's midterm Election Day. Early vote, day one. Let's go to Hidalgo County and our elections administrator, Hilda Salinas. For Hidalgo County, Hilda, it's 7A to 7P, early vote, right? Yes, it is. It's 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. throughout the entire early voting for this election. How many locations do we have in Hidalgo County this go-around? We have 30 polling locations located throughout Hidalgo County. Things to remember today as far as ID and any other rules that we need to follow? Uh, yes. Um, in, in order to vote, in order to cast your ballot, is uh, you do need seven forms of ID. Uh, well, you need to, one of the seven forms of the approved IDs uh, to show at the polling location. It could be a Texas driver's license, uh, Texas ID, Texas election ID certificate, uh, Texas personal identification card, Texas handgun license, the U.S. citizenship certificate, U.S. military ID card, and the U.S. passport. And if you're not, if you don't have one of those seven approved IDs, there are other forms that you can use. And if you have one of those forms, for example. Um, a current utility bill, a bank statement, a government check. You can fill out a reasonable impediment form there at the polling location, so that way you can cast your ballot. Hilda Salinas is our Hidalgo County Elections Administrator on this day one of early vote. Yeah, Hilda, Tim Sullivan here. Have you, has the department ever encountered any problems among voters uh, since the voter ID provision went into effect? We have not really seen, uh, you know, much of, uh, of any situations that do occur. Of course, it does happen where a voter, you know, is, hur- is hurrying and, and heading to the polls and they accidentally forget their ID. But of course, um, they are able to fill out a reasonable impediment form. And if they forget their ID, they do have seven days to come and cure the ballot. So they have an opportunity to come to our main office to cure the ballot, which is to show their ID, and uh, that way their uh, ballot can be counted. Okay. What is the status, as we head into early voting, what is the status of the Penitas Public Library as a polling location? A judge has ruled that the county is has to reinstate it as a polling location. That ruling coming down late last week. Does the county do that, or will the county appeal that ruling? Um, at this time, I have not been advised, and as soon as we do so, then we'll go ahead and proceed accordingly with direction. At this time, I don't have any information on that. Who would advise you? Like I stated, at this time, you know, it would come from our legal team, okay. but at this time, I don't have any information, nor would I be able to comment. What was the rationale for removing the Panitas Library as a polling place in, in the first place? Again, uh, because of uh, the situation and pending litigation, I'm not able to comment on that. Hilda Salinas, our elections administrator for Hidalgo County. Day one, early vote is today, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. at Hidalgo County. That'd be pretty much daily for the entire period, even weekends, Hilda? Yes, sir. So early voting does, again, begin today on uh, October 24th, and it will run through Friday, November 4th. On a Saturday, this coming Saturday, we will have polling locations open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. On Sunday, October 30th, they will be open from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. If someone shows up to a polling location, let's say they show up, they recently registered to vote, but hey, their name's not there. They don't show up. What then, Hilda? Uh, we do have uh, voter registrars on staff that will go ahead and find out exactly and research. However, if something you know happens and they're not able to cast their ballot, but they did register on or before the deadline, uh, depending on the status, of course, and, and on the situation, um, in, in most cases, they are able to vote provisionally. 
do they have to, as you said, return to the elections office after the election, November 8th, and do something to make sure that everything got taken care of, ironed out? Or they just let the ballot board take care of it? Ballot board would take care of that. But again, depending on the type of the situation, for example, if I lived in uh, Houston, in Harris County, and I recently moved over here to Hidalgo County, and I went ahead and I submitted my voter registration, or maybe it was late and it wasn't uh, able to be processed, there is such thing called as a limited ballot. And it would be, you know, here at our main early voting polling location where we can assist them with that. And they are able to vote on the state, you know, federal races. However, they would not be able to vote on the local races. Okay, I see. At least they got their opinion on that. Anything else we should remember on this first day of early vote, Milda? Uh, we do encourage voters to take a look at our website and look at their sample ballot. Uh, we do have 113 sample ballots out there. So to go ahead and look at research, you know, find their sample ballot. We have a really easy sample ballot lookup tool that they can input their information and their sample ballot will come up onto the screen. And that way they can review and you know be informed before they head to the polls. Hey, Hilda, refresh our memories, too. Um, the coronavirus is still around kind of. Um, are voters required to wear a mask when they go into the polling place or no? It is not required. However, it it is entirely up to them. You know, we can't, we do encourage, you know, safety, COVID-19 preventative measures at all times. However, it is up to the voter. Hilda, thank you for all the information. Good luck over the next several days. Thank you so much. Hilda Salinas, our elections administrator, Hidalgo County. Now to Cameron County, our elections administrator, Remy Garza, joining us. How many early vote locations and how do we find those locations, Remy? We have 23 locations throughout Cameron County, from South Carter Island all the way over to Santa Rosa and La Feria. You can go to our website at CameronVotes.com to find a location near you. And I want to remind people that in Cameron County, our polling or early voting locations open up at 9 o'clock. Okay. So if you want to vote early in Cameron County, it's at 9 o'clock this first week. 9 till? 7 o'clock any of the 23 locations you'll find your ballot with all the races you're qualified for but on election day you have to go to your precinct how are you doing on staffing did you get enough people it looks like it's going to be a pretty busy midterm vote yeah we've actually been very successful in getting people for our polling locations we are excited because we also have a lot of student clerks that are going to be helping us out during early voting good. and on election day that's real good Remy garza our elections administrator cameron county uh remy tim sullivan here how might voters be able to see a sample ballot Actually, they can go to our website at thecameravotes.com, and you'll find not only a sample ballot where you'll be able to put your name and date of birth, and it'll pull up the exact ballot that you'll be looking at with all the races you're eligible for, but we also have an interactive ballot where you can do the same thing. It'll pull up the ballot you're going to be using, and you can actually pre-mark your selections and print them out so you can take them with you into the polling place to help you get through the process quicker. A lot of local contests a lot of local issues as well on the cameron county ballot Uh, can you run down some of the the top issues top races in cameron county well cameron county has its county judges race as well as its county clerk uh, race and a couple of justice of the peace races but we also have some local jurisdictions that have not only special elections to fill vacancies uh, we have a mayor's race in santa rosa uh, but there's also some that have bond issues that they're going to be considering, in, such as in Point Isabel ISD, the Los Fresnos ISD, the Santa Rosa ISD, uh, to name a few. Remy Garz, our elections administrator for Cameron County. What do you want folks to remember before they head to the polls, any poll? Well, we want to remember to bring your identification. If you don't have one of your photo IDs, to bring your alternate forms of ID. Remember that in Cameron County, it opens up at 9 uh, and closes at 7 on that first week. The second week will be from 8 to 8, uh, and we even have 12-hour voting on Saturday, uh, and then we have voting on Sunday from 10 to 5. Your website, it's, it's a one-stop shop. Exactly. Uh, you can not only check to make sure you're registered, you can find out your precinct there. Uh, you can find your polling locations uh, on Election Day and our early voting locations, and you can find your sample ballots. I know it might be a bit early to assess this, but just ballpark figure, Remy. Are you able to gauge if it's going to be a busier midterm mail-in compared to others, or what do you say? Well, I think we're still kind of uh, recovering from the big mail-in ballot that we saw during 2020 because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're looking at close to 4,000 applications that have been received so far, but we're still receiving them every day. And people have until Friday the 28th in order to get those into us. It seems like it's averaging back out to a normal election for us. Uh, I think we're going to fall somewhere between that four and 5,000 
early votes by mail. I'm thinking we're going to have close to 50,000 people uh, participate in early voting these two weeks, and then we'll see another twenty-five to 30,000 people uh, vote on Election Day. <laughs> That's what we always say. The early vote determines the election because <laughs> it's more people turn out to vote early than actually day of election. Anything else you want us to remember, Remy? Well, just a reminder, but if you have any questions, please feel free to contact us at 544-0809 and visit our website because you can probably find your answers 24-7 there. Thank you, Remy. Thank you, Remy. Thank you. Remy Garza, Elections Administrator, Cameron County. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. Recently, a recent study showing the growth of the Harlingen port, yeah, or, or seaport at Harlingen. And I know every time I say that, someone in the audience says, what? We have a port at Harlingen? Yes. And I understand it's growing by leaps and bounds, uh, thanks to a recent report. Walker Smith is director of the port. We appreciate your time, Walker. So first, tell us about the port, just a real quick history, and what are you moving, and by how much have you grown over the past several years? Uh, we are a shallow draft port located uh, just on the east side of uh, Harlingen, between Harlingen and Rohondo. Uh, handle mostly barge traffic. Um, uh, the uh, Most of the, the products that we move through there are agriculture products, fertilizer, uh, chemicals, uh, grain, commodities, and cotton. Uh, we, our biggest commodity is uh, refined fuels, uh, diesel and gasoline. And ethanol, um, and uh, that's regional consumption as well as uh, uh, export to Mexico. All right. How many companies, ballpark figure, how many employees at the port? Uh, we've got, uh, there's there's 15 companies that are tenants there in the port of Harlingen, uh, and based on our recent study, that uh, 920 direct jobs um, there at the port of Harlingen. That's pretty good. Um and, uh, you know, a total of about 9,720 jobs are, are uh, affected by the cargo there at, at uh, Port of Harlingen. All right. So tell me about that recent report that was published showing the growth at the Harlingen port. Uh, yes, sir. We had Martin and Associates, uh, who's um, an um, uh, economic um, uh, economist that's, that uh, does economic impact reports for ports and and we had him kind of update with the growth that we've had over the last several years. Uh, we've had him update our, our economic impact and and some of the big numbers, obviously jobs, you know, 920 of direct, not total of 9,725 jobs. Uh, you know, we had that report also showed $527 million uh, worth of personal income and local consumption. Uh, so that, you know, that's direct money to our communities around us. Um, you know, it showed a total uh, economic uh, impact value of $1.79 billion. So uh, over the last, you know, couple of years, that shows a pretty significant growth. Um, you know, we're looking at numbers in, in 75%, 100% growth range uh, for all of those uh, areas. From the Harlingen, Harlingen Port, Walker Smith, our guest. Mr. Smith, Tim Sullivan here. Last I recall speaking with you, you were talking about uh, a construction project, a, a facility for 
cargo containers, if I'm not mistaken. Can you update that project? Sure. We're, it's a project that was designated by Mayrad uh, to do container on barge uh, operation there in the port. Uh, we are still in the development stage uh, of that project, um, and we are uh, identifying. We, we've got a company that we're working with uh, to to get an establish get an operation established there. Uh, but we can move cargo. You know, we can do containers. Uh, through the port on barges, move them up to Houston, Freeport, uh, Beaumont, uh, some other area, ports that handle containers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can put 34 barge or 34 containers on one barge, and we can push six barges up the Arroyo at one time. So, you know, you're moving a 180 uh, containers at a time up the Arroyo, removes a lot of truck from the road um, it's a much more efficient way to move cargo uh, so we're still we're still in the process of, of developing that operation but uh, actively um, working with the federal government to get that done and I'm gonna guess you probably weren't able to do that prior to a lot of the a lot of dredging that's been done at the, uh, at the yeah no we would not be able to do it without the maintenance uh, dredging that we've been able to get done over the last couple of years. Uh, we've actually got another one coming up that'll start in the spring of 2023. Um, so it's the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has been uh, vital in, in helping us get a lot of these projects uh, going, get a lot of these projects funded. Um, and so it's it's uh, uh, the most important component um, of, of being able to get these projects going. Did you say the dredging, of, the the dredging effort is is complete, or is that still ongoing for a while? Oh, it'll be ongoing for a while. Uh, our channel is a very dynamic channel. Yes. Uh, it it constantly changes. Uh, any kind of rain event that we get, um, you know, we <clears throat> it it dumps silt and sediment into our training basin and our navigation navigation channel. Uh, so it's it's a constant uh, constant battle to to make sure that that channel stays maintained. Port of Harlingen and Authority Director Walker Smith joining us. So would you say that the potential for container traffic, container business at the port, is that the lead project? And if so, do we need to fatten up the roads nearby and maybe provide a bit more as far as utilities, water, electricity, things like that? The utilities we have, uh, roads. You know, we're we're working on that. We've we've uh, over the last couple of years, we've had about uh, a little over thirteen million dollars uh, of state funds uh, injected into the port to be able to beef up our roads uh, in and around uh, the port of Harlingen. Um, we will be working uh, with TxDOT, uh, trying to beef up you know the FM one hundred and six uh, and and the connecting roads. Uh, to improve connectivity um, and the infrastructure around there um, in coming up in the future with some more uh, uh, transportation funds yeah. Um, so yes it we we uh, there will be some more money in, invested to to be able to handle the extra traffic and the and the cargo the containers as well and I understand you're able to seek that because um, several months back um, I don't know maybe a year or two back uh, you mentioned Mayrad and uh, Marine Highway uh, designation project, something like that. That that Mayrad, Mayrad designation that you mentioned that allows you to go seek that money. I think it's important for you to tell business people and working people how significant that designation is. What is that? Absolutely, it gives us the ability to be able to apply for for the uh, grant funds uh, for that oper- for that program. Uh, to be able to do container on barge. Uh, if we didn't have that designation, we would not be able to apply for grant dollars to help us develop these uh, these uh, projects. So having that designation for the container on barge uh, operation is, is huge. Sure. What you do at the port to get that? What you have to change or buy or what you do to get that? Uh, we just basically showed them the potential that the port has to be able to do that. Um, you know, we... Uh, we will uh, end up having to buy uh, about uh, in somewhere in the neighborhood of about eight million dollars worth of equipment. Um, 
with the some of the projects that we've done in the past. We've built out some um, queuing areas, lay down yards, um, uh, staging areas for containers. Uh, we've got about uh, 15 acres developed now for that. Um, uh, so uh, we'll have to buy, like I said, about $8 million worth of equipment coming up to get, the, get that going. We'll also need to extend our training basin. That's a big project that we're trying to get done right now uh, with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is extend the turning basin and build out bulkheads as well uh, to make that operation more efficient. Walker, is any money from the the new Federal Infrastructure Improvement uh, Act, any of that coming to the Port of Harlingen? We're hoping so. We've applied for some. We've got a, a dock rehabilitation uh, project that we're looking at that's about $6 million. Uh, we've uh, currently got an application submitted with, uh, to the to MAYRAD um, to hopefully uh, be able to get uh, get those funds. Uh, it'll be a, a 80% or 20% match, so uh, 20% port dollars, 80% federal government dollars. Um, but we're hoping so. They that that um, funding opportunity uh, is is a big. Uh, they they put in about 500 million dollars of of that IJA money. Uh, to to help ports and be able to fund projects at the port. All right, Walker. Walker, thank you for the update. Appreciate your time. Director of the Port of Harlingen Authority is Walker Smith. Your Houston Astros play here. And he drives this one up the middle. That's a base hit. Catch Astros baseball action all season long on News Talk 710 KURV. Deep to left field. Kiss it goodbye. Every hit. Every home run. First pitch and he drives it. Left field. Good one. It's out of here. Astros baseball is powered by FNT Valley Motorsports, Riverside Development Services, MissionIncredible.com, and News Talk 710 KURV. listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. In the event there's a tropical system in the Gulf of Mexico churning this way, you want to keep it tuned to 710 KURV. Stay informed during hurricane season. Tropical coverage 2022 on air and online at KURV.com. Make possible by Mike's Plumbing, Electrical and AC, Vega Roofing, McAfee Insurance and Elephant Building Materials. Sales tax reports, latest month, Matt Ruschek, our buddy in studio today from Coastep, bringing us the number. And we were talking off here. I think the focus for today will be more of a comparison with pre- and post-COVID economies, which would be, as I was telling them, like the real numbers as far as sales activity. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. Doing good. Excited to be back with you guys. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by. Okay. So where do we start in the comparison for today? So yeah, let's, let's start off with, with the traditional monthly overview. So this is the October report, mm-hmm. which uh, reflects the August sales. Uh, so this is back to school. Great. And And we're going to compare, first of all, uh, uh, August sales 2022 to August sales 2021. Okay. Big overview across across the region. We have 37 out of 44 communities up in the Rio Grande Valley. We have 33 out of the 44 up over 5%. And we have 12 out of the 44 up over 20%. Very strong month, and that's kind of been a consistent theme. The valley as a whole is up 13.29% year over year. Hmm. Um, that compares to the state of Texas. We're just a little bit behind there. state of Texas was, was up 15.68%. If we look at individual counties, uh, Cameron County up 12.41%, Willacy County up 42.93%, and that's Raymondville doing its up and down yeah. uh, deal. Uh, Hidalgo uh, is up 13.63%, and Stark County up 8.4% overall. Okay. Uh, so the same thing we had for several months now, very steady up numbers, positive above inflation rates, uh, in, in good good performance. Yes. But like you mentioned, I think the most interesting thing is comparing year-to-date numbers from 2022, there's now 10 months worth of reporting, uh, in, with the numbers from 2019, so kind of the old normal to the new normal. And so here, 
um, the number is actually really quite impressive. So reference point is always the state. So the state as a whole comparing year-to-date 2022 to year-to-date 2019 is up 31.1%. Huge growth when you think about that over a, a relatively short time frame here. Of, and of, considering of what we went through. Okay, correct. And also, what we went through. So, yeah, so definitely yeah. the economy is a lot stronger now than it, than it was actually in 2019 in terms of the retail sales. Can I press the pause button real uh-huh. quick? Sure. Um, factory into all that inflation. Mm-hmm. Six and a half last year, eight and a half this year, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh, still, there's plenty of room there That's to say, right. hey, we grew quite a bit okay, absolutely. in Texas. And absolutely. The Valley. Yeah. absolutely. You know, the reference point, core inflation for the month, right, for August was 6.3% for, tw- mm-hmm. for August of 2022. Uh, uh, and so, like I said, you know, somewhere around 5% percentage rate yeah. core inflation in terms of last year. So plenty above inflation in terms of growth. Uh, now, the valley, so we said state up 31.1%. The valley, for the same comparison, uh, up 35.35%. So we're outperforming the state, um, you know, compared compare to, to, uh, to that time frame. And, and again, this is 2022 compared to, to 2019. Yeah, yep. that's how so, much growth. So, so okay. we actually, we actually, you know, after all this, everything that we went through, good. we're growing, you know, that's that clip above 35% mm-hmm. and stronger than the state. Not by much, but about a couple percentage points, a few percentage points, four actually. Okay. Um, Cameron County, you know, specifically up uh, 33.85%. Uh, Hidalgo County up 36.64%. If we look at Willis County, it's up 12.5%. And Stark County up 24.3%. What's that, what does that mean? Remember we talked about this COVID shift in 2020 yes. where people start shopping the smaller communities and, yes. and more in the rural areas? That has, I think, at this point in time, mostly reversed. There are still some effects of that because some of the smaller communities actually grew. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I think that that has generally reversed. We're clearly seeing stronger growth in the bigger counties and in the bigger communities versus the, the smaller counties, smaller communities. What Matt is referring to in the throes of COVID in the middle of that year, as we were getting these reports, the real small communities, very small. Everybody stayed home. Everybody stayed, stayed nearby. Went to the mm-hmm. gas station, mom and pop shops, and the sales numbers went through the roof mm-hmm. at the local mom and pop shops and gas stations at the small towns as they were getting their food and mm-hmm. the toilet paper, whatever, at the local level. That's what then, that scenario is that's gone. Shaking yeah. That's, that's shaking out. That's shaking out. It's balanced out. It doesn't mean that the smaller communities have dropped by any central of the imagination, because if you look at the, some of the numbers of smaller communities, they're still so they're really back quite good. Yeah. Um, but, that, but the huge discrepancy is no longer there. Yep. Um, the other thing that's interesting, like I mentioned, is the value was above the state average, but I also look across the state, and across the state we perform quite well, because comparables. Uh, looking at Webb County for that same comparison, 2022 to 2019, was up by 28.6%. So we were up about 7% above them. Uh, Nueces County, Corpus Christi area, is up only 12.2% compared to 2019. Um, so obviously we're them by over 20, by 23%. Uh, Maverick County, Eagle Pass along the border, up 21.72%. So we outperformed them as well. Uh, Del Rio, Valverde uh, County, uh, up 23.08% outperforming them as well. We're right in line with El Paso, which is quite interesting. They hit the exact same growth number. Both are at uh, the Valley and El Paso, both are at 35.35% growth from 2019, 2019 to 2022. Uh, San Antonio up 26.17. Uh, we have Houston up 21.6. We have Dallas up 28.3. And we have Fort Worth up 31.9. The really interesting number, and we've seen this in, the, in this year in particular, is Austin. Austin on a state level is just growing like crazy. Mm-hmm. It's being Austin. Up 38.97%. So it has outperformed the Valley. So we are right there with El Paso as the strongest border market. Uh, and we are not far behind the leader in the state uh, as a major market being, uh, being the Austin area. Really interesting, I thought, and I, I need to dig into this a little bit deeper. Economic growth in the Hill Country in Austin, yeah, Austin is crazy. 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 Thank you, Elon Musk, for the big yeah. <laughs> car manufacturer yeah. there. You know, yeah. one interesting fa- figure. Remember how we all went to online shopping and then the numbers in San Marcos were shooting through the roof in 2020? Yeah. San Marcos, comparing 2019 to 2021, 2022, is down 1.3%. And your explanation for that would be? I don't have a very good explanation, to be <laughs> yeah, very honest, because strange. I thought that people still online shop, right? Yeah. But the one thing that has changed, which is which might be driving this, is legislation change. Remember when we, before in 2019, um, you paid the sales tax where the distribution center was when you, when you online shopped. Yes. That law has changed to now uh, retailers tracking what your zip code is and the sales tax being distributed to your community where you are actually located at. Mm. 
And so I think that's probably the effect and there. And that's being tracked and reported that the comptroller's off? Correct, yes. Mm. The, the, law ha- the law has changed uh, last session, mm-hmm. so two years ago. Say two years ago, yeah. And, uh, the, uh, and you see, I think, that effect right there. So it's not necessarily an outlet mall thing. Then. No, not necessarily. I, th- I think it's it's really. I think the outlet mall has now recently, more recently, supporting San Marcos, right? Because you're shopping there. Yeah. But there's no longer that bonus of having that that you know online retail distribution center in community, because that sales tax now gets there distributed go. to where the customers at. So distribution center mm-hmm. for some of the a lot of the online sales mm-hmm. is in San Marcos. Sure. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. They no longer get credit for that. Yeah, and all the cases, cities yeah. who were your buy. Okay, that makes sense. So next year, you have to wait till next year to get some real numbers. To get some, from, to get some, get some numbers to, okay. to see how, those, how, right. how that shakes makes out. Sense. But, uh, but uh, overall, like I said, bottom line, very good numbers uh, for, for our region and currently, you know, steady above, in, above the inflation rate. And the numbers for comparing 2022 to 2019, fantastic. All right. Got about one minute left. So anything you really need to share with us right now, throw it at me. Um, no, really excited to actually have Bill here on uh, here in, in the studio with us. He is uh, my our new data analyst on the team, and so he will be uh, taking over the reins on, on the sales tax activities. Hopefully, in the future, here I'm, I'm trying to get him into position. Yeah. And we are very excited, Costa, to be very very active doing outreach to both in the battery and the medical device industry, hmm. with lots of interesting contacts. Uh, so really excited about uh, you know being able to provide growth to the region and and some really interesting opportunities in the future. I hope looking we, forward to it. Yeah, I hope we take advantage of the low hanging fruit around here with all the medical uh, coming back from Asia to Mexico mm-hmm. or, or to us, uh, chip manufacturing, all that. So best of luck to you trying to get that. Thank you, appreciate it. And that. Uh, just a note to Bill, thank you for stopping by, Bill. You see this? Uh, we uh, this is the uh, the remittance. This is the. The payment uh, that is required. Watch your ship leaves donuts every time you come in for for the interview. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by, pal. Good to see you again. Thank you, guys. Matt Ruscheck with our monthly sales tax report. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshot victims. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. Expanding commercial operations at one port of entry, McAllen, going to require some more brick and mortar. Joining us, our mayor in McAllen, Javier Villalobos. So tell me about the the expansion of, of commercial work in the area and what we need in order to meet that capacity. What you got, Mayor? Serge, we are so excited about what's going on. We've been uh, working on this project for quite a bit. And at the very end, it came in a little higher than expected, $82 million dollars. But uh, the potential is just incredible. But like I'm about to tell them right now, $82 million, take away 25, uh, $25 million because of an input grant we got from the uh, federal government, take away $22 million because of a uh, tech start grant here in Texas, the balance alone from that bank at about 3%. This is one of the best projects uh, we, can, we, we can have. And at the very near future, amazing financial benefit to our taxpayers. And then something that's very important is that loan of about 30 something million will affect, will not affect our taxpayers at all. It's not a tax. Uh, they won't have to pay anything. It'll all be, be uh, because of the tolls. It is an amazing project that we've been working on for a long time. Our mayor in McAllen, Javier Villalobos joining us. Yeah, Mayor Tim Sullivan here. Break that down a little further, uh, that $82 million for the, um, Inspection infrastructure, correct? Uh, so are, are the cities that partner on Ansel Duas, are they paying any of that? Because it looks like all of the funding is coming from either the federal government, the state, or, you know, these other loans and grants. How, how is that payment being shared? 
Well, the, the cities are paying absolutely nothing at all. That's exactly what I'm saying. We reduce uh, the cost by $25 million because of the info grant, $22 million the tax dot grant, and the balance of about 30-something will be a loan from that bank at a rate of about 3%. But the cities have to pay absolutely nothing because it's like a, it's an enterprise fund. It's like a business. So the tolls themselves will easily, easily pay that, note of, uh, that loan of about 30-something million. So we are affected. The only way we're affected is in a good way. And it's something that we've been, we've been working for a long time. And we got to thank our legislators because we couldn't do it until they passed some legislation about two years ago to allow us to be able to, to do this type of funding. When Ansel Duas was beginning to be planned, uh, you know, back at the very beginning, um, was it conceived at that time to be a fully commercial bridge? That is always the intent for any bridge. Uh, it's, it's a little bit difficult. At that time, the uh, funding mechanisms were different. I'll give you an example. Uh, the Donner Bridge, when it was funded initially back in 2008, 2009, you were able to fund it a, a one way, and we could too back then. Then it changed. We couldn't until this new legislation. So, yeah, it's always what you want is the full cargo commercial facilities because you do well with just regular traffic. But the money is in the tractor trainers and the in three, four axles instead of just a regular car. Mm-hmm. And that's why I keep on saying we are excited about what's going on. So the uh, the inspection facilities that this money will will pay for, the technology for inspection has improved quite a bit. Just you know, just from when the Ansel Lewis Bridge was built, how much better, uh, how much more state of the art will these inspection methods be compared to what's in place elsewhere this our facility will be the most advanced facility in the whole country i mean what we're utilizing now is totally different of course than the way it was before from x-ray machines to everything it is totally different and of course it's a little more expensive but the wait times and that we, we talk about competition we're not competing against anybody because there's so much traffic and what this will do is will help speed up uh, the, the traffic, uh, for example, in, in in far, it will reduce the congestion. It will reduce emissions. It will reduce fuel costs because you can move instead of yeah. just all waiting there hours after hours. And the issues we've had with supply chain, this helps. This really helps. And for us, at the very end, it's the financial benefit we're going to gain. Javier Villalobos, our mayor in McAllen, as McAllen and Mission and other local leadership celebrating $83 million full commercial cargo operations facility, groundbroken for that. Manning this facility, Mayor, is that also in line? Do we have the personnel, especially on the federal level, where we need those people running those machines that Tim was talking about, the x-ray machines and other inspection stuff? Serge, everything has been planned through with, with the federal government, GSA. Once it's open, we have the manpower, both uh, uh, state level, uh, ourselves, we're ready to go. How much revenue are we looking at potentially, ballpark figure, once the uh, NADBEC note is paid, everything, how much revenue are we looking at for McAllen and other cities that are involved in this project at Ensaldúas? Well, let, let me put it this way. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, FAR makes about 11 million net our uh, projections for us are at least the same or better and we keep on talking we go we travel to mexico quite a bit and sometimes people ask well, what are you doing over there very simple we have uh apodaca has 63 industrial parks carmen four guadalupe has 14 dr gonzalez two and others in talking with the governor of nuevo leon we know that so many companies are moving to northern mexico because of the supply chain issues, they're moving back to North America, and we're trying to capture the market. So we are going to be sitting pretty as soon as it, this is done. Yeah, it seems that Ansaldo is going full commercial, what, in about a year, right? That's when we expect everything to happen, about a year? We expect it to be about 13 months, and the way things go, uh, it'll probably be more. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Always, yeah. God, I always have to take that into account. <laughs> there we go. Calculate a little bit of a government slowdown on that way. Either way, year, year and a half, you got a new commercial bridge. Uh, Donna down the street, they have big dreams as well. Far, fully operational commercial. It seems that with what you mentioned, Mayor, the supply chain issues and Asian-based manufacturing, 
of all types coming back to the U.S. or to Mexico, uh, these commercial bridges are showing up just in time for what we're expecting to see is a huge increase in commercial traffic coming in from Mexico. Yeah, it's incredible. And you know what? You know what's amazing, though? A lot of this has to do because of COVID. It's amazing how things work. Yeah. You know, all these companies trying to move back in because of a lot of the issues that happened with COVID. And, of course, uh, we had the supply chain issues. But it is, it is, it's going to be a boon for us. And then even us here on this side, of course, the, the manufacturing companies aren't necessarily coming to this side. But we also have a lot of interest by other companies that are coming. I hope to, in the very near future, announce a very, very large project here in McAllen. And a lot of it has to do because of where we're located. It used to be that, okay, look, South Texas, eh, it's a sleepy area. No, we <laughs> are growing, and we're going to keep on growing. And oh, we man, are that, at a great That's quite location. a tease, Mayor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, any hints at all of what you're talking about? <laughs> Manufacturing, uh, logistics? <laughs> uh, yeah. I wish I could, gentlemen, but no. All right. I got some donuts here we can give you in case uh, they'll release the information. And, and, and for Mission, Boomtown USA as well, because they're setting up warehousing and refrigeration and lots of um, facilities, square footage, Correct. to host the incoming it's stuff. Not necessarily, yeah. It's not necessarily just the toll revenues. You know, once you set up the bridge, you start getting the manufacturing or the warehousing, everything in the yeah. south. So it's going to be tremendous for Mission, their tax base, and our tax base is going to increase dramatically. Uh, we are kind of full on the south side. Mission still has a lot of area. So even though it might not necessarily be an immediate impact on, on the revenues, the, the tax base itself, boom, just jumps up. Yeah, long range. It's, it's a great project that's going to affect a lot of good things in a good way. All right. Thanks for the update, Mayor. Javier Villalobos or Mayor in McKellen. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Our Cameron County Health Authority, Dr. James Castillo, joining us again. We're going to get an update on all the flu activity and COVID activity across the area. And there was a report a few days back from a national Walgreens pharmacy. They said their flu index pointed to us. The Rio Grande Valley is number one when it comes to flu activity. Dr. James, welcome back to KURV. I'm guessing it's all the Tamiflu that's been dispensed in the area. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's how the pharmacies track it. Like Walmart, they look at the number of prescriptions they're filling for flu medications like Tamiflu. Yeah. Uh, and if you're selling a bunch of it, it must be a lot of flu around. You know, about a month ago when both my boys had the flu, uh, it was Elam, my baby, my little one had, he got the flu first. I got Tamiflu for him. But that following week, my older one, my 15-year-old Noah, he got the flu. The gang at Walgreens said, We're, we've run out. Come back in a couple of days. I said, what? <laughs> He's got the flu now. It's like, that was like, I'm thinking that was at the peak of it because there's a lag to these numbers. So are we, is it getting better now, the, the flu situation? It's one of those supply chain issues with the meds. So I don't know if they're just shifting in more, um, but I don't think it's getting better yet. You know, the hospitals are starting to see, uh, you know, more people ending up there. I know it kind of ripped through the schools. My daughter had it you yeah. know, a few weeks ago also. And it seemed like half her school was out with it. Um, and now it's kind of making its way through adults. Um, and the whole the rest of the country is starting to see that big uptick across the state. We're starting to see an increase in this influenza A uh, that's what's spreading. And so it's hitting earlier than usual. And I think a lot of people still haven't gotten their flu vaccine. You know, usually people like to wait till November to get it, you know, in, in preparation for December. But, you know, right now it's here. So it's a good time to get that vaccine. Our Cameron County Health Authority, Dr. James Castillo joining us. 
Dr. Castillo, Tim Sullivan here. So, yeah, we got an early start to this flu season, we understand, and it's been bad from what we're hearing. Does it keep on this way, or might we see an early end to the season? Yeah, we'll probably see an early end to it. Usually, if you look at those charts year over year, you know, uh, kind of it should peak maybe a few weeks from now if it follows that trend. Sometimes you'll see, um, you know, it's kind of like the stock market. You'll see it go up and then crash down, and then you get a bigger <laughs> spike. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a bit hard to predict at this point. Um, I don't think that's in our control. You know, uh, what is our, in our control is to try to protect ourselves. RSV, how serious is this? this go around oh yeah you know it's always been pretty serious you know young kids who get it and it looks like this you know all these other respiratory viruses really took a couple of years off uh when you know we did all the restrictions for covid you know uh, and and you know the kids immune systems haven't seen this yet and so they're getting it a little bit later it's kind of like the flu is going to you know kind of come back with a vengeance because everybody's immunity is down mm-hmm. um either because they haven't gotten the flu they haven't gotten vaccines in a little while so it's kind of uh making a big comeback also and it could be pretty serious especially to kids with uh, compromised respiratory systems well how much would you emphasize um the fact that maybe we you know need more of us need to go back to to wearing our masks and and washing our hands sanitizing our hands uh, sanitizing our workspaces keeping our dis- all of those things we did you know during the coronavirus pandemic and we can't forget that the coronavirus is still spreading but we take all those precautions and Will that also protect us, you know, then from the flu and RSV and all these other goofy viruses that are around during the, the winter months? Yeah, you know, during cold and flu season, you know, it's not a bad idea to raise your guard. And it really depends on, you know, how vulnerable you are uh, to the severity of those kind of respiratory illnesses. So certainly people who um, uh, can't tolerate getting, you know, a respiratory virus, you know, should take those heightened precautions, you know, even masks and stuff. And I think when we're sick, you know, if we're sick, we think it's a cold or something, that might be also a good a good reason to wear a mask when we're out and about in public, you know, just to, to reduce the amount of virus that's spreading around and obviously keeping our hands clean, you know, reducing that virus spreading on surfaces, keeping things clean, just to to, to lower the number of, of people who get sick. Uh, but, you know, again, there's that fatigue and things, and you got to live yeah. life too. So how, how, how much can you keep that up forever, you know? Well, it's, it, we're in a different era. Um, I know over in China and Asia, you know, a lot of those folks there have been wearing masks for the past many years, uh, some people there, because of the viruses that spread there. And um, maybe it's time to come to the realization, whether we like it or not, that I don't know why I don't. I, I'm kind of afraid to say it's a new normal because I, I hate wearing masks, but but I do considering the consequences. I think what you've seen, like in Japan, the custom has been, you know, if you're sick, you stay home and you wear a mask if you have if you're going to be out in public and you have a cold, and so it, it, it's usually that way, and it does it does seem to work well. Um, obviously, if there's a big uh, spike in cases in the community, that might be a good time to kind of like if it's raining outside, break out the umbrella uh, with masks. Um, or if you're going to be traveling in, you know, high risk situations, dense, you know, indoor environments, um, definitely that makes sense. Dr. James Castile, Cameron County Health Authority. Let's say you got the flu already. Do you still need to get the flu shot? Well, there's unfortunately more than one type of flu that's circulating. <laughs> I think that there's a H3N2 a version of flu A. There's the H1N1, that 2009 still around. It's about 20% of cases. Uh, and then there's a flu B that's not, you know, really circulated right now. So you can get different varieties of flu in the same season. Uh, so it's definitely still worth getting that vaccine. It covers the four types that they predict is going to be circulating. So it's this quadrivalent vaccine. Hmm. And if you're over 65, it gives you a bigger dose of it uh, to, you know, give your immune system an extra an extra boost. Okay. And so it does so, provide some benefit if you do get it. Because uh, my little absolutely. one, he, he got the metal. He he got both A and B. <laughs> that's, that's what he tested. <laughs> but he, he fared okay. And, of course, with a Tamiflu, you start killing all the, all the junk that's, you know, uh, popping all the uh, little cells and, and sending out more more flu junk out there, but he has a resistance to the flu now. So if if he were to get the flu shot, that provides a 
more defense or you know he's okay because he has natural immunity when, yeah, once you're over, it's kind of like COVID. You know, the vaccine still offers you extra protection. Uh, so it's still a good idea to get it once you're recovered and you're no longer infectious. It's, it's, uh, it's going to give your immune system that extra push uh, to be more protected. The flu vaccine works about, it'll reduce your chance of getting the flu by about 60%. So some people's criticism is, hey, I got my flu shot. I still got the flu. Yeah. Uh, but then it's like, it probably wasn't as severe. You probably got over it quicker. And look, uh, uh, you're alive to talk about it. So the flu vaccine does work, even if it doesn't protect you 100%. And if you can reduce the number of people who got the flu by 60%, let's say everybody got the vaccine, uh, that's, that's got its huge protective effect right there, just in that herd immunity style, because there's less virus circulating. What's rule of thumb on, on being contagious? Do you go back, work school after you break the fever, 24 hours after that? Or you do as one PA I ran into says, oh, no, 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 you got to stay away from work and school for about four or five days, no matter what. Like, so what's the rule of thumb? Yeah, you're usually contagious for about four or five days. You know, you, if you're still having fevers on day four or five, though, that's where that whole you better wait an extra an extra day comes in. Uh, so you're contagious about a day before you get sick with the flu. Wow. And for about three, four, you know, five days after. You know, there's always going to be some people who are going to be contagious for longer than that. But when you're, when you're saying stuff like that, if you're saying most people are no longer contagious after, you know, four or five days. Uh, but if on day five you're still sick, you're still having fever, you're still contagious. All right. And you mentioned earlier, you do have people in the hospital really sick, uh, got pneumonia as a result of the flu, right? You are dealing with cases like that, right? Yeah, the, the hospitals, uh, you know, reported an uptick of cases. You know, they're all pretty busy. You know, uh, flu season always makes hospitals busy uh, every year. Uh, now this year it seems like it's perpetually busy. I haven't seen the hospitals slow uh, this year. But, um, you know, a few weeks ago when it was spreading through the schools, we asked the hospitals, how's it going? They said, no, it looks fine. Uh, but then in the past week or so, they started seeing more, more cases coming in. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's a normal flu season as far as the hospitals go. COVID is, is pretty much, uh, you know, the wave is past us right now. So in its place has come uh, flu. <laughs> All right. Let's keep it that way. Thank you, Dr. James. Good to talk again. Our Cameron County Health Authority, Dr. James Castillo. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.